Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome one and all to the Storybox podcast, the place to be if you are a lover of stories. My name is Joe Phantom, former real estate agent now living my purpose, sharing amazing stories from people all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Maybe you haven't heard of my next guest today, but you've definitely heard him a lot. That's right. My next guest for you guys today on the Storybox is none other than Rob Paulson. You guys might recognize him as being the voice of Pinky from Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, and so many other projects. He's done over 2,000. Yes, you heard me correctly, 2,000 half-hour programs and dozens of films, video games, and other animated media. To his credit, Rob has been one of the most hardest-working, most in-demand, and most beloved voice artists in the industry, earning so far a Daytime Emmy and Peabody Award. He's a three-time winner of the Annie Award for voice actors, but honestly, his biggest uh, fight he has just won, which is defeating throat cancer after a grueling year of aggressive treatment and with a renewed passion for his craft. He's finding some new challenges and some old familiar faces there to guide him into the next phase of his career. This man, my friends, is an absolute legend, if I can put it simply. He is so kind, so genuine, so real and authentic that our conversation went for a long time and I had an absolute ball just listening to this this wise man speak. And I know you guys are going to get so much out of it. He does a couple of the voices that he's he's actually voiced over the years, such as Pinky, Carl from Jimmy Neutron, and a few other fan favorites. Um, this man is seriously a, a true delight and a true joy. He puts a smile on everybody's faces. He, you know, I couldn't contain my my joy uh, by speaking to this man because he's literally. My childhood, <laughs> I grew up with Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you name it. This man has been in my ear growing up and it was a real treat to actually speak to him on the podcast. So special thanks to Rob and uh, for his time. I have some exciting news to share with you all. So as you guys know, uh, the Storybox is about a year old now, which is pretty pretty exciting for me to actually say that, but this last year has been an incredible year of growth and development. 
and improvement. And I've been working on many, many different things. And one of those things was building a brand new website for the Storyblocks. Now I'm super, super proud of this achievement because it is something that uh, I've wanted to do for a very long time is have a, a, a website that is actually proper, or it's been properly done. And I just want to make mention of a couple of people here, one being my good friend, Zach Hickson, who has been by my side since we were 12 years old. We've been working together. He's gotten my vision down pat every single time. Now, that's not easy to do because if you've ever worked with me in the past, it's very difficult to do that. But this man is patient. He's kind. He's super talented. He's not just a, a website designer, but he's also involved with graphics and music. So I want to do a massive shout out to you, Zach, and say thank you. Uh, also to Jacob Anderson, who actually designed the original Storybox logo. So you can thank him for that. And he also spent a lot of time uh, revamping it and making it what it is today. So I just want to say thank you, Jacob, for all your uh, support um, and uh, all, all your gifts as well. So it, the story box really wouldn't be where it is today without these two incredible human beings uh, believing in this mission. And um, so thank you both so much for that. So go check out the storyboxpodcast.com website. The link will be available in the show notes. And let us know your thoughts as well. I think it looks absolutely incredible. Um, but what I also want to say is if you want to support further, you can do that now by sharing this episode of Rob Paulson uh, to a friend or a family member. Also, you can leave a rating and review and let everybody know what you think. It goes uh, that extra step further in really, really helping build this incredible community and audience and helping as many lives as we possibly can. I think I've, I've talked enough. Uh, what do you guys think? So let's dive into the story box finally and hear the incredible story of the legendary Rob Paulson. Well, hello, Jay. All I got to do is go home now to the water tower because you said all those lovely things about me. Um, and one more thing, Nerf. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's, we're all done. Oren, don't forget to finish your croissant. I don't know what the hell that's about. But um, what an auspicious, lovely, very kind, typically Aussie uh, <laughs> introduction. I've had the great good fortune of having a number of friends um, from Oz and been down there, I think, three times at different um, events and not Sydney yet, Melbourne, oh, um, Perth, um, Adelaide, and honest to God, Jay, it, it is, it, we really are kindred spirits. I, I know that, um, you know, we have over the years, even before I was born, that the Australians and the Americans and the Canadians and others in the, in the um, Commonwealth have been both trade, military partners, dear friends, and that is not hyperbole. I'm telling you, every time I go down there, I am treated by everyone, friend and stranger alike, with utter kindness so it is my great pleasure jay i i'm thrilled to death and by the way your audience doesn't know this but jay has manipulated his schedule at least twice for me um and never once complained to my publicist or about hey man who the hell does this guy think he is and and he would have a right to do that because um 
everybody's got their schedules, but not once has your humble host, Jay, uh, done anything but been accommodating, very kind. So you picked the right guy to listen to. And thanks, Jay. I'm uh, happy to be here. I appreciate you saying that, man. My day has just been made by that comment. Seriously. Well, that didn't take much, did it? No. A low bar. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, these voices are bringing me back to my childhood just listening to you. Isn't that uh, the greatest? You can't see. By the way, is this podcast uh, video as well? It is video as well. Okay, yeah. okay, great. Look at Jay's cheeks. They're red. They're pink. Oh, no, look, they're pink like my name. <laughs> but that happens, my friend, all the time. It happened today at Best Buy here in Thousand Oaks, California. My wife bought a new phone and I was over there and I had a, a pinky mask on that a fan had made for me that's just stunning. And sure enough, Hey, dude, excellent mask. I said, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> oh, it sounds just like Pinky. I said, well, so funny you should say that. And so what happens typically is exactly what happened to you. And it is the best, 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 best part of this gig, Jay, mm-hmm. um, that all I have to do is say, Narf, or hello, nurse, or hi, I'm Carl, or turtle power, whatever. It's And people get flushed they immediately smile there is no downside some people even get tearful it because it it connects on such a deep level and and the kindness of people like you to chat with the folks who do what i do um it 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 wasn't such a you know a big part of the of being a voice guy 20 years ago Mm. now because of the ubiquity of all these shows that we've done and the availability of them, and in our particular case of Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain, with the king of Hollywood again, for God's sake, Mr. Spielberg, you know, asked right. if you want to do it again. Mm-hmm. This is such an, a unique circumstance for me personally, but my, um, my, my um, uh, expectations are so high simply because of, of the way people react. And I now know how deeply people connect to these characters. And man, it's just, it's the best, honestly. It could not get any better. How did you get started in all this? Like what what was your initial passions growing up? Did you always want well, to be doing this? Yeah, well, no, the, actually, um, my first desire, um, if I had it when I was a kid, Um, The only thing I wanted to be was a professional hockey player, ice hockey player for the Detroit Red Wings. I realized by the time I got to college that I had neither the talent, temperament, nor dental insurance to make a dime as a hockey player. (laughs) I still love hockey and I still go around and skate with my buddies. But the only other thing, I mean, just just closely behind was performing. Mm. Voice characterizations and creating my own characters and singing in them. For sure, but not a desire to be a voice actor. I was a singer first. I learned to read music at a young age. Um, and like most people my age, was inspired by Jonathan Witters, the Pythons, mm-hmm. Peter Sellers, um, you know, the usual suspects, Lucille Ball, yeah. Carol Burnett, et cetera, and Looney Tunes oh. and Rocky and Bullwinkle. Um, Flintstones, Johnny Quest were all really big deals to me growing up. Mm. Uh, Looney Tunes in particular and Rocky and Bullwinkle because they were 
very smart. I didn't realize how smart they were, of course, until I got older, because my father, not my mom so much, but my dad used to love to watch Looney Tunes and Rock and Bullwinkle. And just like folks um, who watched Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain with their parents, when they were eight, 10, 12 years old, and mom and dad are laughing like crazy and the music, you know, United States, Canada, Mexico, it's incredible. Mm. Um, now, people your age watch Animaniacs 20 years later yeah. and they're still relevant and they're still funny. And that was utterly by design. So that was certainly part of the, um, of my um, training, quote unquote, because it was just there. But I moved to LA in 1978, 42 years ago, ostensibly to do live action and music. And that's what I was doing. However, in the mid 80s, 84, uh, 85, I was called by my agent who knew that I was a singer and knew that I did a lot of improv and in addition to on-camera commercials and TV shows that I was doing back then, um, said, hey, have you ever thought of doing animation? I said, of course, but there are a handful of people that do it all. Well, they're auditioning for a couple of new series over at Marvel and they turned out to be G.I. Joe and Transformers. Um, so I auditioned, I got jobs on both of them. And immediately, Jay, I called my agent and said, oh my God, this is the gig. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're an, a non-celebrity talent, younger actor, and even older actors, you are subject to being uh, um, typed by your visage. That's the way it goes. It's not good or bad. It makes sense. If, I'm, if, if you're a... Uh, an Aboriginal young man. And the story is that your parents are both Aboriginal. I'm not going to get the call. If the story is you're adopted by a Caucasian American, then me and a bunch of other actors would fit. Same when I'm a kid. Okay. So uh, uh, my agent said, wow, did you like it? I said, oh, I loved it because I was surrounded by not only people who, uh, were really talented, but people whom I recognized from episodic television growing up because they all wanted to work. Mm -hmm. So Jonathan Winters, for instance, was Grandpa Smurf. And um, a lot of people from the Bob Newhart show, all the shows you would have probably watched from mm -hmm. American television. Mm -hmm. I Love Lucy. Yep. Things that everybody watched around the world from American television. These people were working on cartoons. Mm -hmm. And so... I thought, oh man, this is the gig. And boy, am I glad that I jumped into that. It took me probably another seven or eight years to maybe 10 years to really fully commit and say, that's it. I'm not doing on camera anymore unless somebody offers me a job. I don't need to audition for it. I'd rather audition for this. And it was a good move because now I can still work every day and still people still don't care what I look like. And I'm back to doing another shot at almost inarguably a culturally iconic show. Two of them, really, Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs. I think it's maybe not too high brow to suggest that those are icon iconic shows. And with Mr. Spielberg again. Mm. And you really, truly don't get any bigger in Hollywood than Steven Spielberg. Um, so all of that has conspired to bring us to this wonderful moment. And 
we are actually in a position, Jay, I think people who do what you do and you what I, and do what I do in the entertainment business, 2020 has really handed us more lemons than I think anybody ever thought was possible in one year, certainly in my lifetime. And I'm old enough to be your, maybe your grandfather, but we have an amazing opportunity, Jay, to make so much lemonade, to make so much sweet lemonade out of all these nasty ass lemons. Mm -hmm. And whether it's Animaniacs or Jay Phantom or uh, Simpsons, new episodes of Fill in the Blank, um, Rick and Morty, you name it. <laughs> we have an opportunity uh, and, and it's literally been teed up for me with Mr. Spielberg to go back with my buddies, with Tress McNeil, Jess Harnell, and my friend the brain, Maurice Lamarche. And we have the opportunity with Hulu to light this big, happy candle. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, it, it, it is not hyperbole to suggest that there are millions excited about it. Uh, I don't draw them. I don't write them. Not false modesty. I'm good at my job, but I'm just an actor. It is a deeply collaborative effort that I have no hand in, literally just a voice in. And certainly the voice connects as it did with you with millions. But man, this opportunity to bring so much joy to so many people, uh, uh, it's unprecedented in my lifetime. And you and I, who are lucky enough to be in this position, um, both together at this specific moment, but then when we go our separate ways, we're now friends and acquaintances, but we are able to go and, and spread that joy around to people who otherwise wouldn't have it and who had had the Christ beaten out of them this year. Um, so I, I'm really excited for that whole opportunity to, to be in the happy business. You know what I mean? That's, that's really beautiful. I, I like how you, um, you, you mentioned Spielberg and then how 2020 sort of given us a lot of lemons and it's our choice yeah. to make lemonade from it. Because when I was growing up, um, when I was eight years old, I remember seeing Indiana Jones and then thinking yeah. in the brain. Then I watched all these cartoons that um, Balto as well, that uh, Spielberg was also a part of. Right. I was and in one of the Balto things. I played a little, another mouse. I played a little uh, singing mouse, talking mouse. I forgot his name, but I, I've been several mice. I was Pinky, that little critter. And then um, on one of the Cinderella. Yes, you, you were um, Cinderella 2, right? Yeah, I was Jacques. Yuck, yes. Yeah, how about that? Uh, <laughs> something about uh, me and mice. I don't know what it is, Cinderella, but it's still me. <laughs> Look at his face. Uh, this, Look at your face. Isn't just, that something? You can't help it. No. And, and, I, and, and I'm the same way. I, honest to God, Jay, I, I cannot get enough of it because it's, it, it's, mm. it's almost chemical. You cannot help but be joyful. It's fantastic. I keep getting like these, these flashbacks of when I was sitting in my grandparents' living room, watching Pinky in the Brain, drinking pub squash and eating all the junk food. The best times. I kid Isn't you. Great. But, well, and I think, may I ask, how old are you? I'm 24 now. Okay. So you're pretty much the age I was when I came to California. Wow. Um, 
And uh, I remember uh, meeting people uh, who I grew up watching on television, if I'd be in an audition or, or meeting people when I started doing a lot of animation like Mel Blanc, I got to work with Mel and June Foray and many others who have passed away. But the moment they opened their mouths as a character that I was aware with, I mean, profoundly aware of, it, I, I would get, I mean, I almost would sometimes like get a little like dizzy. Like, oh my God, mm. that, that's intense. It, it literally took me, same thing, back to watching eating Cocoa Krispies in, in Livonia, Michigan, outside of Detroit. Um, and now to be in a position to understand what it's like from the other side, Wow, it, 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 it's, it's wonderful from both sides. I'm so glad that you get such a kick out of it because it is, I think the only person who might get a bigger kick out of it is me. It's great. Uh, honestly, man, like I am, I'm thrilled to be speaking to you today. Like I can't get a smile off my face. Good. I remember when I was eight years old, this is probably just going to be a nostalgic talk, but I don't care. No problem. <laughs> it's great. Um, when I was eight years old, wanting to go into movies, like make my own movies. And, and Spielberg was actually the, the, uh, my idol, my hero. Like oh, when it came to story, here. you know, I was just like, I have to, I have to like be like him, that sort of thing. So everything that he ever made or ever, everything that he had his hand on, I would absorb it. And Great. I think one of those things that you did as well with thinking in the brain, oh. I absorbed every single one of those episodes. <laughs> right. And what I'm curious about, Rob, is when you first got started in, in this business, were you scared, afraid, fearful? And if you were, what did you do with that, that fear? Yes, to all the above, uh, but not so much that it kept me from driving my car out to California where I didn't know anybody. I, it, from Michigan to California is about, I don't know, 2,300 miles, something like that. Uh, took me a week to get out here. I enjoyed the ride. But um, yeah, I was a little bit frightening, a little bit scary, whatever. But I was 22. Mm -hmm. And I had already been on the road doing live music and theater for three years. So relative to my age, I had had quite a bit of experience. And I was... Um, in my book, I referenced the moment where I knew it was time for me to go to the big boy or big girl pool, you know, sandbox, mm -hmm. that I was in a very successful cover band in Michigan. And um, we were on a, you know, a circuit of nightclubs and bars in Michigan, a really good band. Uh, I was just a singer, but the players, I mean, outstanding players, they still work. Um, and I remember we had a place, you know, you develop folks who really like your band. And when you come back to their town, they go, hey, Rob, how you doing? Thanks for coming back. Play that, you know. And that we had a young fella who, uh, bless his heart, was probably an alcoholic, but he really liked our band. And I remember one night, uh, this was when I had, I was, I'd been with the band a year and a half and I was really starting to wrestle with, I love these guys. And I dropped a lot of hints about, let's go to LA. Let's, mm. you know, come on. And one of them was married. One of them had a girlfriend, you know, the other guys were like, eh, it's Flint, Michigan, California. We don't know anybody. 
So what? Come on. Everybody else does it, you know. And it was clear that I was the only one of that mindset. It wasn't right or wrong. It was just me. Mm. And I was wrestling with how to how to undo this wonderful band. And it would break their hearts. And it did because we were friends. You know, we were 22 and having a blast. Um, but one night, the gentleman I referenced earlier, who was predisposed to drinking a lot of Heineken's, uh, a song, we got done with the song and I said, thanks very much. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. His name was Mickey. And Mickey came up and he was pretty, pretty dusted. Hey, Rob, I got to tell you, you're the best band in Flint. And it was, I swear to God, Jay, I don't know if you've had many yet because you're still pretty young, but um, it, was an, it was the first, maybe the second epiphany I'd ever had in my life where it was a big light bulb. And it was like, you know, the little angel on your shoulder yeah. who said, he's right. And what does that mean? It means this is it. This is as far as you go here. So you've been wrestling with this. You've been deciding, and I'm not necessarily a big metaphysical guy, but I remember that. I remember that conversation like it was a couple of months ago, and it was 43 years ago. Yeah. I remember the guy. I remember the bar. I remember him precisely saying, you're the best band in Flint, and that immediately triggered, this is as good as it gets for you here, Junior. Mm. Um, so you're scared. You're nervous, you're apprehensive. You don't want to hurt your friends. What do you do? Mm. So I did all of the above. I hurt my friends. Uh, they, of course, forgave me because they knew I wasn't joining another band. I just, it wasn't going to work. They got another singer, they were fine. But uh, my, at that point, as I said, I wasn't a newbie. I'd been on the road for a year and a half with a theater company doing theater every day and doing live music for another year and a half after that. So I was prepared for a 22-year-old relative to my age. Um, so the Jones to do the gig, the excitement that I feel when I'm on stage or performing and it works was more powerful than the apprehension, than the, oh my God, what if you're broke? Well, I'll get a job. Mm -hmm. I'd never, still to this day, never taken unemployment insurance. I've, I've always been pretty self-sufficient. Um, my parents instilled a deep personal responsibility ethic in my, uh, I and my siblings, me and my siblings. Um, so I've been broke before. I got through it. Mm. You don't know anybody. Well, so what? I'll meet people. I mean, God, I'm an actor, for God's sake. I'm a singer. I stand on stage and talk to people extemporaneously. I'll, I'll meet somebody. I'll meet people like me. There are a shit ton of actors in LA. Yeah. Okay, well, that's down. Um, how, what if it takes you a long time to get an agent? Well, then it does. Um, I don't have a plan B, but that was the time to do it. I'm not married, no children. All I have that I'm responsible for literally is my own food and a car payment. That was it. And finding a place to stay. Um, so... When I got here, uh, it took me about a year to get an agent. I was, I'm a pretty handy guy. So I was able to um, have the lovely lady who rented me my first apartment, Betty Peterson. 
Um, I lied on my application. I'm sure she knew it. But you meet very kind people along the way. And I'll never forget Mickey in the bar. I'll never forget Betty and Leonard Peterson at the Esplanade Village Apartments in Redondo Beach, who said, yeah, I'll rent it to you. And, and I finally was able to uh, work out a deal with Betty and Leonard, the managers of this giant complex. I'm handy. I can repair plumbing stuff, fix locks and doors and you know minor electrical things and toilets. And I'm a really good apartment cleaner. And so I was able to clean apartments and repair them and get them ready for new people when they were you know, renting and clean all the old junk out in exchange for rent. So I didn't have to wait tables. I could work on my own schedule. Um, was it pleasant? Well, no, but it was, that's not what I went there to do. I mean, I didn't expect it to be a snap, mm. but it's better than having to worry about quitting your waiter job because you get a call back on something. And the manager says, hey, Jay, if you don't show up tonight, dude, you're done. And you're used to making a hundred bucks a night in tips. And you've got to go, shit. Mm -hmm. It's a third callback for who's cooking the soup. Um, I'm the second lead. If I get this, I, I might be set. Sorry, boss. I got to go. Great. You're fired. Okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't get it. I, don't get, I didn't get who's cooking the soup. Now you're back to looking for a job. And actors do it all the time. Got to make a choice. So I didn't have to worry about that. So relative to that, I'd already had pretty good fortune. And I never missed the opportunity and still don't to recognize how fortunate I am, irrespective of what it would appear to others. Mm -hmm. um, good fortune and, and uh, success is relative, obviously. And it's defined by virtually all of us differently. Mm. But the fact that I was able to pay my rent, had the freedom to go on auditions as I choose, uh, lived by the ocean, I could afford it. I, I thought, holy shit, you're, you're doing okay. Well, how you, have, you got, have I seen on your TV yet? N no, but I know I can come to LA without knowing anybody and have a place to live and eat and work. And if nothing else, I'm able to survive on my own in Los Angeles. Hey man, that's, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. So I always take a moment to realize when I'm really, really grateful and really understand, oh, this is not the end goal, but this is a big deal, man. This right here, you got to celebrate. You're not going to celebrate with expensive champagne. You're probably going to buy a higher quality of ramen. But you see my point. It's about enjoying the journey and learning to love the hustle. I have so many things about which to be grateful for. And another one of them is, is right now with you. And it only happened as a result of all these cool things that have happened to me decades before you were born. Yeah. Fascinating. So the other thing that would happen, and you and clearly I was aptly cast as Yakko because I'm shut up for a half an hour, but when you mentioned what do you do to get by that? Um, as you can imagine, I was broke more times than I can count. Uh, I, if I 
did, as you suggested, 2,000 plus half hours and I don't know, a thousand commercials and I don't know how many on-camera things, that means I've auditioned for maybe 4,000 that I haven't gotten. Um, I'm sorry, it's my parole officer. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Busted. Um, and, uh, but you know what I do? I give myself about 30 seconds to feel sorry for myself. Then I kind of mm. mentally slap myself. And sometimes I do give myself a good right hook to say, hey, whoever shoved the gun in your mouth for being an actor, hotshot? Mm. Do you recall either of your parents whom you loved or your siblings ever saying, wait a minute, you're not going to be an actor? Oh my God, you're going to let us down. In fact, it's usually quite the opposite. It's a fairly courageous thing to go into the entertainment business because it often is the result, I'm sorry, it often is despite the protestations of people who love you, mom, dad, girlfriend, boyfriend, saying, Jay, I love you, but if you go to New York, I, I don't think I can go with you. Mm -hmm. And that happens all the time, man. So when it got nasty, when it went south, when I would do, as I suggested earlier, I'd get three callbacks and think, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to get a series. And then, oh, dude, you were so close, but they went with uh, a guy who was taller. I would mollify myself by, feel, by going, shit, and feeling really crappy for, like I said, 30 seconds, and then saying, you're here because you want to be. Nobody shoved the gun in your mouth. The other guy got it. Good for him. Um, he won today. You'll win down the road. Or you won't. And if you're going to get bent out of shape, and the third or fourth time this happens in a row, you feel like you can't do it anymore, and go home. Or change your, your, um, your line of work. All of which are fine. People do it all the time. I have many friends who have gotten to their 50s and said, I've had enough. I get it. Not a problem. I am not one of them. And I'm a profoundly lucky fellow. But I'm lucky because I put myself in a place to get lucky. Mm -hmm. I live that axiom where luck is opportunity meeting preparation. Had I not listened to my little drunk friend, Mickey, and not said, that dude's right. I'm going to go to LA where somebody can see me, where I can get lucky. Mm -hmm. So there's no luck in the choice. I made that choice. When I got here, opportunities presented themselves. And then after all those performances I'd done before I got here, uh, I was prepared. And bingo, I got lucky. So gambling is lucky. When you make a career choice, that is not to say that I've done this on my own. I haven't. But when you make a career choice and you put yourself in a position uh, where you've got to sink or swim, or you might actually get lucky. I'll talk about my profession because I'm expert in it. You might get a shot, a shot that gives you a golden opportunity. If you don't make the most of it, or if you, if you are out of your comfort zone and it doesn't work, you're not going to have a career. So uh, I, I always run the risk of being self-aggrandizing, but my career is not lucky. I worked really hard to be in the position. Uh, it's a privilege to be in the position I find myself in. Speaking with you right now, 
and I've worked really hard for this privilege. I think the luck I had was being born into a family who loved me, who gave me the confidence that I could do it, even though they weren't thrilled about it, that I at 22 could say, I got to give this a shot. Um, that was where I really got lucky. Uh, parents who loved me, siblings who loved me, um, the, a feeling of personal responsibility and the feeling that American ethos, Australian ethos too, of that, that um, you know what? You go out there and, and make your own luck. Mm. And that's what I've done. That's what Billy West have done, has done. That's what Nancy Cartwright's done. That's what Tress McNeil has done. That's what Frank Welker has done. Jim Cummings. All of us who are lucky enough to do this gig, when I say lucky, um, you see my point. Some of us are 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Alan Oppenheimer, the voice of uh, Skeletor, is 90. What? And all of us are still working. The first ones may be lucky, maybe the second one. 30, 40 years later, it's not luck. Um, so I really appreciate you asking me that because those are really valid questions for young actors who might be thinking, I'm going to go to Sydney. Um, and maybe I'll get a shot and go to Toronto. I don't have a problem with visas going to Vancouver or Toronto. It's a lot of work, animation, on camera, theater, in Vancouver and Toronto. Then I'm, while I'm there, well, shit, other Australian actors and actresses are in Hollywood all the time. Maybe I can get there via Toronto. I, I can do this. So it really is helpful for people to know from a guy like me. I'm not a, the characters are famous. Um, and I understand the distinction. So information from me is really helpful to young performers because I'm a journeyman actor. I have a nice house, a couple of nice cars, um, but I'm a normal guy, flat screen TV. I like sports, put braces on my kids' teeth, my dog food and toilet paper. I just do it with money earned from talking like Yakko. But I'm not a movie star. I don't live in rarefied air. I don't have 18 cars with a home in the south of France and a private jet. I'm just like a guy who's a doctor or a lawyer or owns his own business. I'm a hardworking upper middle class guy. Um, but that's it. So the information that I can give young actors is utterly authentic from a guy who came from Flint, Michigan, and knew nobody. And so that's why those questions are not only appreciated, appreciated from my point of view, but they require this long contrived, not contrived, long rambling answer, because there's a lot of information I want to be able to give folks if that's what they're interested in hearing before I, uh, I leave. I could um, can hear you continue just talking and good. I'm so glad because right. I don't want people to go, Jay, I love you, but I had to turn the goddamn thing off because that idiot wouldn't shut up. <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to happen. I'm, I'm afraid I talk too much, but some of the things that you said there were quite fascinating to me. There's a lot to unbox, but one of the things it's amazing. I believe in blessings. I believe that, I am blessed to be able to do what I'm doing today and speak. Amen. Because last year I had, 2020 has actually been a better year for me than last Good. year. Like last year I had the worst the one. year. Exactly. Like I was broke last year coming out of my career in real estate. And then I 
I didn't actually want to progress with this. It's a funny thing how life works. And then I was actually in an interview and it's kind of like your moment with, with your friend, Mickey. I was sitting across from a CEO of a top company and I could have been earning hundreds of thousands of dollars by now. And he said to me, Jay, why do you want to work here? And immediately I responded with, I want to help people. And I didn't know what that really meant at that time. All I knew was, okay, I want to help people get a job. Okay. Yeah. Then I went, went home on the train, thought about it a little bit more. And I'm like, hang on a minute. There's going to be something more to that. What if I help people that are stuck? What if I help people that don't know where to go? What if I help people that have been afraid or they're fearful of moving forward? Yes. That, that's where I was. And that's helping people with their humanity, Jay. Mm. That's not like giving them an aspirin. That's helping people develop their, literally their soul, their countenance. That's huge. Mm. And yes, I was afraid to start this. And to this point, like I always get, you know, those little bit of nerves. Of course, whenever. me too. But it's the best thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because we are all human. And what I've realized is throughout this whole thing is we're given opportunities. And like my, my idol Spielberg says, it's almost like a whisper the opportunities that come sneak up behind us that we don't really see at first, but they always are there. And yes. you've got to open up your eyes a little bit. And if you take a wrong one, it's okay. There's no such thing as failure. It's only learning. If you exactly do fail, right. You do fail, you learn humility. <laughs> You're a very humble individual, Rob. And I've really appreciated like your story so far. I've got so many more questions for you. Um, this one, it may be a hard one to answer, but we'll see how we go. Mm -hmm. What would you say has been the worst piece of advice you've ever received from someone? Oh my goodness. Um, the worst piece of advice, um, Jay, you kind of got me stumped because I, I probably forgot it. Um, you I and a lot of other people, don't worry. No, I, I, and I probably forgot it on purpose because I've had so much good advice, but I, you know, I think honestly, probably the, the worst piece of advice and clearly I didn't take it was um, my father, uh, whom I miss about every four weeks. I miss my mom every day, but my dad would laugh at that. <laughs> um, but uh, I was going to college. I was in the university of Michigan, uh, oldest in my family. So, you know, the, the, you're the role model. I um, was enrolled for a year. I attended for an hour because I was always uh, working on music or, you know, going out to lunch with somebody and skipping school and writing something that I thought was funny. Um, so much so that when I came home, I remember after my first year, I said, look, you guys, mom and dad, I'm wasting your money and my time. I, I, it's time for me to go to LA or yeah, this is no, this it's time for me to go on the road. That's when I joined a theater company and I came back and did music and then ultimately moved to LA. But that was after a year of college. And I said, I'm going on the road with this theater company. And my father was understandably very upset. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, well, you know, that money that follows you to Ann Arbor to pay for college doesn't go with you, but you're old enough to be drafted. You don't have a draft anymore, but you're old enough to go to war. You're old enough to vote. 
You're only going to make your own decisions. I completely disagree with you, and I, I think you're making a big mistake. My advice, son, is that you, you're obviously not an idiot. You're a smart guy. You just have to focus on school, get your degree, then try L.A. and show business. And if it doesn't work, you can fall back on your degree. Obvious, typical information that everybody would take. And I, I would give the same information to my, my child, mm. unless he or she showed an almost desperate desire to do what I do or, or uh, work on cars or be a flower, floral arranger or host your own show, chat show, um, to where you eat, sleep, and breathe it. And then you're starting to get pretty good. Like if you're a professional hockey player, at 12 or 13 years old, you get people coming from around the state to watch your little boy or girl playing hockey. Then you go, wow, this kid is really good. That's different. And that's kind of how I was um, with performing. And so had I listened to my father, I don't know for sure that I would have been here in this, that I rather that it would have not worked out for me, but I would have lost, uh, Three years, I'm sorry, three years of practical experience, which served me so well when I moved out here at the age that I would have been had I finished college. So for me and for the desperate joy of doing what I do, although it wasn't necessarily animation, uh, I made the right choice because even though I knew it was going to upset my parents, even though I knew it was going to break their hearts, I knew that I would, that there was something like you said, something literally in my soul that said, you have to do this, man. This is not, it's not about you being better than anybody or you're the best in your class, whatever. This is about your soul talking to you and you have to listen to it. You, at least for now, see what happens. Nothing ventured, right? Um, so that's what I did. That was the worst piece of advice. My dad's saying, here's what you got to do. Da, 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 da. Then go to California. I didn't take it. And my old, my father, um, said to me on more than a dozen occasions out here, um, boy, I'm, I'm, I bet you're glad you didn't listen to me, man, you sure proved me wrong. I don't think that was really a big motivator. I'm not, I'll show you dad. It might have been, I don't recall. I recall being very excited and proud to tell them that I, you know, I'm in the Screen Actors Guild and I'm starting to work. I bought a house, I, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, that was probably the worst advice I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And, um, um, but both parties knew it and it was fine. It was not a bone of contention mm -hmm. at all once I, once I made the move, and my and my and I told my dad I understand what he's telling me that I'm on my own. Fine, he didn't hold it against me. He didn't say when are you gonna give that shit up? Not at all. Not at all. It, it was about well, you made your decision, and I'm gonna support you. I'm not gonna send you 100 bucks every day. But you got to make your own money. I got three other kids that want to go to college. I love you. You'll always have a place here. You've made your choice. If you change your mind, call me. But right now, that's what you want to do. Good mm -hmm. for you. 
whether or not I agree with you is immaterial. You've made your choice. And so fair enough. That's it worked out. Mm. Sounds like it it really did. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't take it. Yeah, advice. Us, yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious about your voices now. Uh, and I'm pretty sure everybody else is. So when you go about creating a new character's voice, what's your process like? Like what, what sort of things do you do? Well, voice acting is small V, large A. It's about acting. Having done, having done hundreds of stage performances and hundreds of nights of uh, live music and creating uh, characters in, a, in an on-camera environment, a traditional acting environment, it's no different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quicker because often once you get to be a regular on an animated series, there are often secondary characters that get thrown into the mix and having improvisational skills uh, is a huge asset. Uh, I have a real strong improv background. Most people who do what I do have improv, stage, stand-up experience. Maybe all three. But Maurice LaMarche is a world-class impressionist and had a very successful stand-up comedy career long before he started doing animation. Billy West, same thing. John DiMaggio, uh, Bender from Futurama, same thing. So uh, I am good at creating characters on the fly, but I'm also good and getting better. I'm better than I was 20 years ago and I'm hopefully not as good as I'll be next year. But I, um, uh, uh, the process by which I come up with characters is, is um, fueled by obviously the script, the ways that the other characters interact with the character that I'm, creating, um, any background information I can get from the folks who create the story. And it, once the show gets going, it kind of morphs anyway. The voice usually comes out of a, of a place of how the character is developed. Certainly, the people who write and produce shows and create them have ideas about what they hear. Sometimes it's based on a celebrity voice or um, can you, you know, here's this voice I'm playing for you. Not that, but something kind of similar. So that comes into play. And it's a, it's a very collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's a spur of the moment thing, um, I did a show called Ben 10 for um, Cartoon Network. And uh, oh, show. thank you. I played a couple of characters. I wasn't, um, uh, Yuri Lowenthal, my buddy Yuri was, um, was Ben. And Tara Strong was in it too. And Greg Sipes was Kevin who played Michelangelo yep. on Turtles with me on the second go around. He's Beast Boy on Teen Titans. Um, but I was doing a character called uh, Patelliday, Magister. Oh, no, no, no. I was doing a character called Ditto. Yeah. It sounds a lot like Yakko. And I told him, don't tell anybody, but it sounds like Yakko. Yep. Doesn't matter. Um, and during one of the episodes, one of the producers said, hey, Rob, we've got this character, blah, blah, blah. And he kind of looks like the incredible Mr. Limpet, which was a comedy years ago starring Don Knotts from uh, the Andy Griffith show. It was a big hit when I was a kid. And uh, we wanted this character to sound a little bit, a little bit like this character Don did called Barney Fife. And uh, can you do Barney Fife? I said, well, I think I can do him a little bit. I'll give him a shot. And I did it, 
And they, they were laughing. Oh, that's pretty good. And that was on the spur of the moment. Um, they, uh, they said, oh, that's great. And I said, but uh, let me tell you, my buddy Jeff Bennett, who is Johnny Bravo and yes. just stupid <laughs> gifted man. And so nice, just so sweet. I mean, but really freaking talented. I said, if you want a spot on Barney Fife, call Jeff Bennett. I mean, I'm already on the show, but call Jeff because he's he's channels Don Knotts, you know, really good. And they said, you know what? We hear what you did and we kind of like the flavor, but we kind of prefer it not being spot on. So I got another character on the spur of the moment that when I wouldn't ordinarily have been on the show, I now was because I had auditioned on the spot. My point about it is that those opportunities present themselves. And I've seen actors who immediately go, oh, shit, I, I don't know. I don't think I can do that. And the producers will say, well, give it a shot. I don't know. I just, okay, next click. And it's, it doesn't mean it's bad or wrong, but it definitely leaves a little asterisk by mm -hmm. an actor's name. Not, I'm not going to hire him again, but when you hire him, make sure you know what I'm, you're not going to get, he doesn't want to jump in the pool. Mm -hmm. It's he wants the, the the safety, and I understand that. I totally do. Part of being a voice actor is being literally unself-conscious. You do not concern yourself with how tall you are, what color your skin is, whether you've even got eyeballs or a head. It, it, we're talking about characters that are literally animated, or and thus far have not had voices. Dinosaurs rocks, fruit, vegetables, mice, cats, you know. So be utterly unselfconscious and be utterly also unafraid to play. Mm. And I've had, I don't know, half a dozen really great gigs. I think I got 12 episodes out of that character on Ben 10 because I wasn't afraid to jump in. And I would have absolutely been happy with them hiring Jeff because he's better at it than me if they wanted a spot on impression. But once I was free to play and to say, sure, I'll give it a shot. It turns out they wanted what I had to offer more than what they thought they wanted. And if I had not been willing to play, right? So the lesson is that that happens to all of us, like it did with you in that interview. And, and you're a very precocious young man. You really are a bright fellow. Um, because a lot of people don't learn those lessons at 24. And those are lessons that will serve you and your listeners for the rest of your life. I'm probably 20 years, maybe 25 years away from not being able to work. Because as long as I can work and think, I, I'm good. Um, but... Opportunities present themselves all the time. And it is absolutely, I believe, a huge lesson to be able to be uh, sensitive 
in yourself enough to listen and uh, blessings, however you want to uh, qualify it or, or, or uh, whatever word you want to use. Yeah. I have been by any measure blessed. I would say the same thing where a Hindu, a Jew, a Christian, a Wiccan, an atheist. Right. It is a blessing. Of course, I'm paid to do essentially what got me in trouble in high school. And they pay me really well. And now I'm talking to Jay Phantom. Life is pretty goddamn good. But all of us have those times. My father had them. My father had what was to my siblings and my mother and I, all oh, this glorious opportunity. And he chose to stay where he was. And he often remarked later about, God, that was my pitch. I, I should have swung at it. But he, he didn't, it worked out fine for everybody. He chose the bird in the hand. There was a significant risk, but the rewards were beyond what he ever would have expected. Mm. Um, and that's kind of what I did. I just was able to do it without having children. So I understand why my dad made the choice he did. Um, because he, he already knew he was able to take care of his four kids and his wife. So if it didn't work out, he would have let them let us down, even though we would have understood that the risk was worth it. But he chose to stay where he was. He kind of regretted it, but I don't know that I would have done anything different. But when I heard my voice, when I heard the, the blessing coming to me, I immediately thought, ain't no time like now, man. You don't have kids. You're not married. If you're going to do it, do it now. Because if you go five years and you're 27, that's not, you're, you're no problem. You'd be an idiot not to listen to that voice now. Um, so that's the lesson, I think, you know. Another profound lesson. Thank you so much for sharing that. You not also mentioned something it's only, that. It's because oh. you shared yours, your, your ability and your sensitivity to what is around you is is something that is um certainly i didn't have at your age mm. i've always been a pretty nice guy but my job as i get older i think is to be a better one and more understanding mm. more available to what's around me not assuming i know it all um and the fact that you're able to think that clearly and take that leap of faith uh not unlike I did, um, is a big deal. And the way you talk about it, I didn't come out here with the idea of the goal in my life wanting to help people. Mm -hmm. I love helping people, but I wanted to be a performer. I knew I could be selfish when I moved here because I had to be. I had to think about what I could afford, what I could do, not have to worry about pissing somebody off if I broke a dinner date to go to an audition, you know? Um, but you have already chosen a life of altruism. You have already decided at 20, at your mid-20s, to say, no, I think I'm become a minister. Some people would become a rabbi. Some would become a doctor. Some would become uh, a vet. Some would become a therapist. And um, you have chosen a medium in which you find yourself comfortable. 
and and from the get-go your goal is to help people mm. so you're already way ahead of the game and your listeners have somebody whom they can relate to age-wise vibe-wise culturally but because of the way you are you're able to have a thoughtful cogent conversation with somebody who's 40 years older than you that's a rare thing jay and um it's not blowing smoke it's a unique circumstance I talk to young people all the time and I love it, but most of them are not driven by a desire to serve uh, as you are. Mm -hmm. I am now because I've, I was given, you know, the cancer diagnosis. So I have a great opportunity to help, but you, you are um, a unique, a uniquely, uh, I think special gifted person because you're, dri you're driven to help already. That's, that's remarkable. Thank you. And if you were to hear any part of my, my actual full story, you'd be a bit shocked. Like you're only 24. How in the world are you still standing? Yeah. Um, and I don't say that like to blow smoke or anything like no. that. I say that purely because I've been through literal hell and back and I have come out the other side of it. And I've come up with all these philosophies and, and mentalities and the way that I am today is because I've been through those experiences. I know exactly what it's like. And that's one of the reasons. You know what, that's called, what, what that's called with a big fat capital E is mm. empathy. Yeah. When you say to somebody who's struggling, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's mm. important because it's what I've experienced much later than you. Uh, when you literally or figuratively hold someone's hand and you say, man, Rob, I know, man, I get it. You do. And the, that is a huge gift to the person to whom you're ministering, helping, being human with. Mm. And it's not to say that the people who love Jay but don't know what you went through say, oh, I, I know, man. Of course, they, they really mean it. But they can't literally know unless they, you know, right? Yeah. Same with me. So now when I get called by my oncologist, hey, Rob, there's a guy really struggling. Would you mind, would you mind talking to him about it? Mm -hmm. I love that. Because I know that the person I'm going to talk to is going to get something from me that he couldn't get, even from his own doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, a, a sense of empathy and understanding. And someone to, to explain about the abject fear of, of this cancer that, just God bless him. Last week took killed Eddie Van Halen. Same thing. Um, so forgive me. I, I want to hear more about that. I, I know what you mean. That's empathy. I'm curious about what went through your brain when you got cancer, when you found out that you had cancer, what was going through your mind? Well, I wasn't your age. Uh, look, I had already had by any measure uh, a wonderful career. And honestly, Jay, if the doctor, I was 59. And honestly, if the doctors had said, look, here's the deal, Rob. Uh, this thing is really, it's, it's done plenty of damage and you're, you're on your way out. So we're going to keep you comfortable. You go ahead and go home. Uh, I'm sorry. That's not what they said. They said, we're virtually sure we can cure you. Uh, not, um, not a uh, remission, a cure. But before we do, brother, we almost have to kill you. The, the protocol, the radiation and chemo for 
mouth, head. Obviously, you know, it's, it's brutal, but it works. Mm-hmm. And I embraced it 100%. And I have to say that never once did my wife, my son, who was grown at the time, uh, and I, never did any of us say, throat cancer? Holy, could you not get foot cancer or hair cancer? Come on. And it was literally a month after I'd learned that Steven Spielberg was contemplating doing Animaniacs again. And the doctor said, we can save your life. Not so sure about your characters, but it's kind of our job, you know, to save you. And then it's up to you to do it. So there was a lot. Started the conversation, fear, trepidation, anxiety, but not one lick of uh, self-pity, not for a moment, precisely because I'd already had a great life and I'd had hundreds, Jay, of opportunities, both in person and on the phone and via recording to speak with children and their parents uh, who were going through impossible circumstances that I never had to go through with my sweet boy, who's now 36. Mm. Um, at the very moment that I was getting my phone call that I did have cancer, it was stage three, it had already spread to my uh, lymph nodes in my neck uh, from my throat. At that very moment, someone in LA or Sydney or Detroit or Dusseldorf was getting the same call about their five-year-old or their next, why not me? And having had the experiences of, oh my God, I can't tell you, hundreds of children who who wanted to talk to Raphael or Pinky or Yakko or Carl or Donatello or Mighty Max or Throttle from Biker Mice from Mars or Mark Chang from Fairly Odd Pure, you know, you name it. And all of us, Billy West, Nancy Cartwright, we all do it. It's not, I'm not special. But most of those hundreds of children wanted to talk to those characters before they died. And the parents kept in touch with me. And once they found out what I was going through, the outpouring of love and support, we didn't put it on any social media. I didn't tell anybody until I was done because I didn't need their pity. Um, they had, everybody's got their shit. But then, once people found out um, in droves from decades before, hey, Rob, here's a picture of you speaking to Jordy before he died of cystic fibrosis, but we will never forget what it meant that he got to talk to Yakko. Or here's my little girl. Um, We lost her 15 years ago, but, you know, you sang the nations of the world for her once at a hospital visit. Well, of course I did. Shame on me if I wouldn't. Of course I did. And again, we all do. But I'm the one with throat cancer. So they led me, they reminded me that I had all that incredibly powerful joy right here in my cabeza. All I had to do was call up Yakko, oh Pinky, or whatever, and make fun of myself. I could I I can figure that out. And to me, the I didn't know it at the time, and I sure as hell didn't know it when I was in. I mean, more pain than I ever thought I could handle in my lifetime. Uh, But nothing happened to me that they didn't tell me would happen. 
It's just like you said earlier, you don't really get it until it's there. And you go, oh, this is what they're talking about. Okay. So next time I have a headache, I got a real barometer about what real pain is now. So I've learned something. I've actually had a blessing. Here we go again. And for me, it turns out that cancer was not a silver lining, Jay. It was a platinum lining. Because now I'm in my second year of being the spokesperson for the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance. Uh, I do roundtable discussions with physicians, cancer researchers, uh, and mostly parents and children about my cancer experience. And I would not have been able to do this with the same authenticity that you do because of your survival experience had I not gone through it. If the choice had been given me, would I have chosen to go through it? No, probably not. But there really was no choice. The choice was you'll live a few more years, but you're not going to like the way you go out because we're going to have to start cutting chunks of your you know, mouth out. Mm. Um, or you are miserable for a year. Nah, I, I take that back. Miserable for a few months, a year to recover. And then you're done. Okay. Um, so that I didn't have a choice, but you know what? Man, talk about a platinum lining. And then here I am with my friend Jay, and you give me a chance to talk about it again. We don't know who's listening and who's watching, Jay. We don't know that 20 years from now, I may be dust by then, but somebody comes up to you at an event and says, Jay, remember that guy you talked to, Ron Pullman, the cartoon? I don't even remember the guy's name. Yeah, I remember. Well, you guys, blah, 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 and... You will never know how much it meant to me that you spoke to Rob about his cancer experience. My dad had throat cancer. And as a result of that chat, I did some research and I found out some things that I could do to help my dad recover or the type of throat cancer. Uh, Rob represented the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance. By the way, that's headandneck.org. And it's great information. So this young man or woman may say, I went to headandneck.org and I'll be damned. I found information to help my father and he's going to celebrate his 85th birthday. That is the gift. That is the gift that you and I and the blessings that we've been given because we are literally experienced empathic mouthpieces to share information that, well, at the very least edify people, entertain them, and at the most, how much better does it get walking through your life, my friend? Not very much. Mm. It's pretty cool. You definitely said it, <laughs> Rob. Um, I could speak to you for ages, Thank but I, I need to ask you one final question, if you don't mind. If you can still hear me. Please. Yeah. I don't mind at all. And again, I apologize for co-opting your show because you were describing, you know, your difficult experience. I, I should not have interrupted you, but I, I co-opted it because I wanted to make my point about empathy. But, but we can talk after you see a few episodes of Animaniacs and Pinky in the Brain, and you can tell me whether or not you like it. I will. I definitely right, will. Fair I'll, enough. I'll wait till it, um, it, it comes out again. Yeah. Again, <laughs> but, right. Again. Um, and no, you don't have to apologize. Honestly, this is not about me. It's about you and your story. Yeah. And I just get to be blessed enough to, to hear it. So um, 
my final question to you, Rob, this is my all-time favorite question that I always ask people at the end. You've been able to reach the age of 100 and your friends have put together your own film of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it. We'll just call it magic. They just did. And they've shown it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? I want it to show about my life that I live my life by the following credo, that laughter is the best medicine. The cool thing is you can't OD and the refills are free. And that is precisely how I've lived my life. And I don't think I'm going to change. Um, When I was diagnosed and I met my radiation oncologist uh, who put together the uh, you know, the, pla- the, uh, the program to radiate my throat, the area, and the tumors. Um, 35, 37 daily treatments. It was pretty brutal. Um, but it was so great because what happens, and, and I don't know your particular health experience, but you probably know, you know, the, the do- doctors suss you out pretty quick because everybody is different and they have to know emotionally how they're handling the cancer diagnosis or the kidney, whatever, the fact you have to lose a limb, whatever. So they suss you out. I've already, I'd already had my, you know, a couple of different chats, but this was the first time I'd met my radiation guy and he had spoken to my normal oncologist, right? So he knew a lot about me, knew what I did, knew that my life was driven by humor. I've done some serious roles, but People mostly do, you know, they know me about this and they do it, you do it again. So they knew what I did. And, and so Henry M. Polsky, my glorious radiation oncologist from Russia, comes in and he says, Mr. Paulson, it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, let me say, I feel certain we can cure you. Unfortunately, before we do, we almost have to kill you. And I started laughing and I said, oh my God, it sounds like I'm talking a goldfinger. You know, you expect me to talk goldfinger? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. You know, it was, I could not have asked for a guy who got me better. Joked with me, you know, if I was waiting on the phone to talk to him about something, I'd say, Jesus Christ, the guy could die from throat cancer waiting for you on the phone. And um, it helped us both. He could approach me when it really started getting gnarly with a sense of humor and saying, um, you know, uh, bet you're upset that you ever sw- said a nasty word in your life now, hot shot, huh? <laughs> Better watch it from now on when you start using the Lord's name and whatever. And he knew he could use humor as a way to get through to me. And it was to me integral, um, but also I used humor. I could put the other people helping me at ease. They deal all day, as you know, Jay, with people who are at their worst. Often policemen, you know, firemen have to do the same thing. They have to, doctors, cancer doctors, even dentists, right? Nobody wants to be there. And sometimes when people are on their way out, Sometimes they're a voice actor with throat cancer thinking he may not be able to work again. So they're already going, oh my God, I got to go give this guy bad news or this woman 
She's feeling awful. And I got to go in there never having experienced having a hysterectomy and under, and letting her, and, and holding her hand and saying, I understand. And I don't want to offend her because I don't understand. They're already in that position. But I could go to my radiation person. Sorry, that damn parole officer just went up. Um, I can go to them and, and put them at ease. I can say, ah, uh, this is about my, I think this is my 30 second radiation treatment. Go ahead, fire it up. You know, if, if I don't make it, tell Dot and Wacko, I still love him. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the guy running radiation is 30 years old. He loves animaniacs. So he's at ease. Everybody at ease. Everybody knows they've got a job to do. My job is just to deal with it. And I'm going to be fine, you know, but the next person that comes in might be sobbing, might be in tears, understandably. But if that's the 10th person you've dealt with that day, who is so nervous that they've thrown up, or it's the child of, you know, it's a five-year-old and mom can't be in there because of the radiation, can't be in there to hold their hand. Mm. Mommy, mommy. I mean, Jesus Christ. They got to do that all day. So if I have the presence of mind to make their job easier, guess who's the beneficiary? And everybody is happy. Everybody's got a good story. They get paid. I get my life saved. And then I have this great story to tell my new friend, Jay. Mm -hmm. It really is interesting how that works, man. So, and... I've never been asked that question. I've done probably getting on 500 interviews in my lifetime. Outstanding. And it is a great question. Um, there are many of your listeners going, why did you have to ask that question? But that's really what I'm about. I can make it much more existential, but I am, I recently wrote something down um, because I'm closer to the end than the beginning. But I've experienced enough of life now and a life-threatening illness to have a different perspective. And I wrote down something like, you know, when you go to Disneyland or Disney World or a big amusement park, there's a, you have to be this tall. I wrote down something and I'm paraphrasing my own little thing, but it's welcome to the ride. There are no height, age, no weight restrictions. Please try to remain outside your comfort zone for the duration of the ride so as to enjoy all its benefits. Mm -hmm. Sit down, hang on, take a deep breath, and let go. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much how I've lived my life. I don't think I knew it as much until I got to be a little bit older. But it really is about going, okay, hang on. And then saying, let's see what we can, let's see what we can make happen. But the whole thing that really keeps my heart pumping is laughter. And um, I really appreciate you. Again, folks, you guys hit the lottery with Jay. He's the real deal. Um, you are profoundly kind to manipulate your, manipulate your schedule. You are really bright. And um, Mr. and Mrs. Phantom, uh, to the extent that you will get to hear this one day, you have done a remarkable job 
pretty incredible trees to produce such an amazing apple. Too, way too goddamn handsome. And if I were 40 years younger, I'd come over there and you'd beat the shit out of me. So I won't say that. <laughs> but uh, your mom and dad have done a wonderful job. And that's important to hear for them. Because um, nothing pleases me more when I meet a worker, a co-worker who has worked with my son who produces video games. And he's, you know, 36. And Jesus, I worked with your son, Ash. Man, what a great kid. That's the best. So. You, um, your fans are lucky. Your mom and dad killed it. You're fortunate, and so am I. So let's just see if we can uh, continue this and make a pile of lemonade to, uh, to, to you know, see 2020 to its uh, conclusion. Rob, you've been an absolute gem. Thank you so much for your words of wisdom, your, your story, everything that you are, everything that you have done in the world. Thank you so much for bringing the joy, the laughter. You put a major smile on my face and right. whole whole conversation. And I'm going to go from this and continue the smile for the rest of the day and see if I can bring joy to someone else's life. And well, I, I think that, I think that that's pretty much a given. I have a feeling just for opening you opening the door for some sweet old guy like me already, you're going to make them joyful. Thank you, Jay. It was absolutely my pleasure. I've worked really hard, as I said, for this privilege, and that's what it is. And I look forward to speaking with you again. We we'll definitely and, got um, again. Yes. When I come, uh, when I come down under, I'll uh, come to Sydney. I, would, I Sydney. really want to come to Sydney because <laughs> Randy Rogel, who wrote United States, Canada, Mexico, Panda, and um, it's a great big universe, and we're all really puny. We're just tiny little specks about the size of Mickey Rooney, right? All those Animaniac songs, Randy and I have uh, a great deal with Warner Brothers Animation by which we're able to go to perform the music of Animaniacs live with orchestras around the country and around the world. So we had, we've already done, I don't know, 30 of them, 25 of them around the country. And um, we had a bunch of them that were kiboshed for obvious reasons. Yep. But we really, we've already been in contact with the folks at the Sydney Symphony and the Sydney Opera House um, because this music is utterly uh, iconic, irrespective of where it's played. We've got a ton of fans in Australia and um, I've been there to half a dozen cons uh, and everybody knows my work. So I have no doubt that we could get a great audience for Randy and me and the, and the, uh, the Sydney Symphonic Orchestra. Um, we'd have a ball. So trust me, if that happens, you're in. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and in any case, if I get to Sydney, I'm going to come over there and uh, learn to uh, to speak properly. And I'm sure that you can help me out. Well, I can give you a hand there, mate. <laughs> um, it's my pleasure. You take care of yourself, my friend. And to your audience, thank you very much for paying attention and uh, for giving me the glorious opportunity of Making you smile for the last 150 years. And don't forget to finish your croissant. I don't like this part because it means, sadly, we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. 
If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.